الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاه والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الف لام ذلك الكتاب لا ريب فيه هدى للمتقين الذين يؤمنون بالغيب ويقيمون الصلاه ومما رزقناهم ينفقون وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم الصلاه عماد الدين من اقامها فقد اقام الدين ومن هدمها فقد هدم الدين او كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وسبحان الله ما يكرم الذين الذين قران شريف كومنسز سوره الفاتحه سوره الفاتحه is the summary of the entire quran sharif the details of how it becomes a summary are many but all the core aspects of deen are all in surah al-fatiha which are then expanded in the rest of the quran sharif and this is why surah al-fatiha is termed as ummul kitab likewise in the ahadith of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam there is one hadith which is known as hadith jibril just as surah al-fatiha is ummul kitab is the source and the fountain head of the entire quran sharif likewise this particular hadith sharif is known as ummul sunnah whatever has been taught to us in the rest of the ahadith is all summarized in this one hadith so the importance of this one hadith is clear from this alone that it has been regarded as ummu sunnah all the lessons that rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam has given us there is no lesson that is minor something that is small everything is of extreme importance there are certain things which are highlighted for us and if we hold on to these things that have been highlighted then everything else starts falling into place very easily so this is the discussion tonight of this hadith sharif and the purpose is for us to take these lessons to heart and as we said that this is a summary of the whole deen the very famous hadith and many many books of ahadith it's in bukhari sharif muslim sharif in all the books of ahadith you'll find generally this particular hadith sharif imam muslim rahmatullah alayhi has narrated it and together with the hadith sharif there's a little bit of an introduction to it to the incident of this narration which is very very pertinent which has many lessons in it for us so to just take that particular narration that is in muslim sharif Imam Muslim rahmatullah alayhi he quotes this from two narrators Yahya Ya'mar and another narrator Abdul Rahman bin Humayd Himyari these two were on their way for Hajj Umrah and it was one of the two that they were going for Hajj of Umrah 
On the way they were now discussing that we wish that we can meet some sahabi. لَوْ لَقِينَا أَحَدًا مِّنْ أَصْحَابِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم. And how we wish we'll get to meet some sahabi when we get for get to Makkah Mukarrama for Hajj or whatever it was for Umrah. Why did they want to meet a sahabi? What was this desire for? One obviously to meet a sahabi will be a very great honor, be a means of great benefit. But they had a specific purpose. What was that purpose? They were in Basra. They were hailing from Basra. And at that time in Basra, there was something new came about. Something that they were not familiar with from those before them. They had not heard of something like this before. Now some new sect came about. On the one side, the people that were propagating this new ideology, regarding them, it is mentioned in this very narration, that they were people who يَتَفَقَّرُونَ ilm. They had gone to the depths of knowledge. They could quote a lot of things, they knew a lot of details. So outwardly this was something coming from people who knew much, knew better, apparently. They had a lot of depth which others generally didn't have. The average person didn't have. And they could quote a lot of things. But with all that, they came about with one new ideology. That annal amra unufun. The what this really just comes down to is that there's no such thing like taqdeer. The belief of taqdeer doesn't really apply in Sharia and Deen, or it's not part of Deen as such. Everything else is okay. This is something we don't accept. Now, who it's coming from? From people who apparently seem to know a lot. People who are able to quote a lot. And now these people are faced with this new ideology, something that they are hearing now for the first time. So what is their response? This is the lesson. Their response wasn't, well, these people seem to be very, very knowledgeable. They seem to be knowing a lot. So then, this too should be right. So let's take it. They didn't take it on face value. Because they are seeing something coming down from people who they are familiar with people whose credentials they know, people who they have seen their life, they have seen their adherence to Shariat and Sunnat, people who have been endorsed by those before them who were themselves authentic. So now when they have been receiving deen in this manner in an authentic way, now somebody is coming from the blue, somebody is suddenly coming with something new, so they didn't just take it as it came. They said we need to now meet some sahabi, because in Basra at that time, perhaps there were hardly any Sahaba left, or wherever they were based, there were hardly any Sahaba that they could meet, or any senior Sahabi. They wanted to verify what they have just heard from somebody who they are sure is authentic. Not just taking things as it comes. Not just because it sound, from where it's coming is sounding very nice. It's like buying a car because a hooter sounds nice. Because of the sound of the hooter, he's ready to buy the car. They first wanted to verify it. So in any case, they came to Makkah Mukarrama. Now as they are in Makkah Mukarrama, it happened this was their desire that they wish they meet some Sahabi. And they say that what a good fortune of ours it was 
that فَوُفِّقَ لَنَا Abdullah ibn Umar as we entering the Haram Sharif, as we about to enter the Masjid, suddenly we find who is walking along. He says, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala great Sahabi of Rasulullah sallallahu person of great rank in ilm among the Sahaba as well. So he said, this is our chance. In any case, there are many, many details which are not going to everything. But now they put forward this situation to him. Look back from where we come, there are these people who seem to know a lot and they go into the depths of knowledge and they have very in-depth discussions and many, many things that they seem to be telling us. But this one thing which we are not sure about, we have come to inquire from you. They say there is no such thing like taqdeer. This predestination is something that does not apply in deen. What is Abdullah bin Umar response? He says, when you get back, فَأَخْبِرْهُمْ أَنِّي بَرِيءٌ مِّنْهُمْ وَأَنَّهُمْ بُرَآءٌ مِّنِّي When you get back, then tell them, I have disassociated myself from them, myself from them, they have got nothing to do with me. As long as they are on this belief, that there is no such thing like taqdeer, then I got nothing to do with them and they got nothing to do with me. I disassociate myself from them entirely. One is that if somebody has deviated, somebody has gone off the track in something, then to make an effort to try and bring him back to understand, if somebody who has that depth of knowledge is doing it well and good, very good. Otherwise, a person with half knowledge will try to debate with somebody. He's got half knowledge. He's got quarter knowledge. Now, how is he going to debate with somebody? That person has mastered something in his lopsided way, but in one particular aspect. Now, he'll convince a person with that futile arguments, with those baseless arguments, which in reality don't have any basis. But it's just a play of words. It's just how things are twisted and put forward. A person who doesn't know better gets caught up in it. So this is something that if a person doesn't have proper knowledge, he must stick to what he knows and stick to those who he has that confidence in and stay away from all these sideline debates. Unfortunately, when it comes to deen, everybody has an opinion. Whether the person knows or doesn't know, he has an opinion. In any case, this is one aspect we learn from this. The other is that there cannot be that kind of compromise situation that fine, okay, taqdeer is something that he does, he's got a different view about, I got a different view, but fine, everything else will carry on normal. So it can't carry on normal. Then a person needs to be clear about where he stands. He needs to keep his distance from those who are deviated. Otherwise, the fear is that he will get affected by the deviated beliefs. He needs to keep his distance. Abdullah bin Umar that gives them the reason why he's saying this. And in giving the substantiation of it is when he quotes this hadith of Jibreel sallallahu alayhi This hadith which was quoted, this hadith which he heard from none other than Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab ta'ala. So now he says that as Umar who explained to us and he said that once while we were with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa that suddenly suddenly one person came like how the words is used for the sun 
the same word he's using for this person's coming. He came in in such a way, it was like somebody, not an ordinary person just came in. It's like the sun rose. And he caught everybody's attention. Because this person on the one side, شَدِيدُ بَيَادِ الثِّيَابِ شَدِيدُ سَوَادِ الشَّعْرِ لَا يُرَى عَلَيْهِ أَثَرُ السَّفَرِ On the one side, his clothes are immaculately clean and white. Not a speck on it. His hair is completely black and everything in place. At the same time, there is no sign of him having journeyed and come here. So all this is a sign that he hasn't journeyed, he's from here. Because if a person journeyed in that time and came, you'll see the signs of journey on him. He would come on horseback, he would come on camelback, and he would come with, through dust, dusty streets and dusty roads. So even if he came from a short distance, you'll see this person came from somewhere. Here this person is like he was here all the time. And on the other side, لَا يَعْرِفُهُ مِنَّا أَحَدْ Nobody knows who's he. Now, this is a kind of contradiction now. It's a confusion. You're all confused. That we know, don't know him means he came from somewhere else. He's just come now. So why is there no sign of any journey on him? Now, this confusion, everybody is wondering who is this person. Jibreel deliberately came in this way. He deliberately came in a way that created some kind of confusion because the whole purpose was to catch everybody's attention 100%. Why? Was this just some attention-seeking device? Nowadays there are many things we do which are merely just to catch the attention of people towards ourselves. Why? So that we can gain some prominence of some sort. It might seem in the eyes of people that I am also somebody. So, depending on what brand label I might have, or various other things to catch people's attention towards ourselves. Whereas this doesn't make a person anything. If we are something in the sight of Allah Ta'ala, that is worth the while. When a person leaves his dunya, what is going to come with him? And people also might just say things in front of us for the sake of making us happy. Behind us, they'll say, look at this person showing off. So that doesn't add to a person's worth in any way. What adds to his worth is what is within him. That is what makes him something. Ibn Salatu Wasalam didn't want to catch anybody's attention for the sake of some prominence, for the sake of making himself somebody. He was beyond all this. He wanted to catch their attention 100% because there was going to be a very important conversation now. Everybody must listen carefully. Everybody must hang on to every word that is going to be said. Any case, he comes in in this way, and he comes right in front, and he finally sits down right next to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. His knees are already touching the knees of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he sits in the position of tashahud, and he's got his hands on his thigh in a very respectable manner, and now he's come as a student seeking knowledge. Now he comes and he asks Nabi Salaam some questions. So now to come to the questions that he asked, but just as a background, before coming to the questions, just as a background to why did he come at this time? One is that this was the last part of the life of Rasulullah Salaam in dunya. It was barely months before Nabi Salaam left this dunya. So this was to come and teach the whole ummah 
via Rasulullah sallallahu the entire deen in a summarized form. So the summary of it, all the highlights, this was one reason. Nabi sallallahu alayhi the sahaba would previously often ask him questions. Sometimes, some people would ask some questions which were not even necessary. The Quran Sharif, the ayat of the Quran Sharif came. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la tas'alu an ashya'a in tubda lakum tas'ukum. Don't ask unnecessary things. Many people have a habit to just ask something. Why? For the sake of asking. For the sake of amal, many a times, Hazrat Mufti Mahmoud sahab rahmatullahi often when he would come to South Africa, many times he had come to this country, eventually he gave his life in this country. So many times when he would come, there were some standard questions. People would ask some standard questions. And almost every time the same questions. One of the standard questions people would ask, what is the hukam, what is the ruling regarding prawns? Standard question. What is the, question, what is the ruling regarding prawns? In any case, once one person asked the same question, so Hazrat sat up forward a little. He said, You're asking for yourself? So he said, No, I'm just asking. He said, You're asking for yourself? In other words, whatever I tell you, you'll make amal upon it? He said, No, I'm just asking. He said, No, you mustn't just ask. Just ask for yourself. Ask to make amal. If I tell you, will you make amal? A person is quiet. Because he wasn't asking for amal. So now he's just asking because now, well, maybe he wants to make somebody else listen. Oh, well, they, everybody is asking something now. If I don't ask, it will sound like, I mean, maybe I don't know anything what to ask. One person in the class of Imam Abu Yusuf, he used to come and sit down also. He said very quietly. And he wouldn't ask anything. People would just come and sit and join these classes. One person would just come and sit down also. So one day Imam Abu Yusuf asked him that, you don't say anything, you don't ask anything. If there's something you need to ask, you must find out. So now he started scratching his head. He said, well, I have to ask something now. So now the discussion was carrying on about fasting. And then this came, obviously, as part of the discussion. The fast commences at the time of when true dawn, sehri time, finishes, then the time commences. And then when the sun sets, then the fast is over. Now this person was now itching to ask something now. Thinking now, he must ask something now. When this came up, then when the sun sets, and the fast is over, so he asked, but what happens if the sun doesn't set? Imam Yusuf said to him, look, for you it's better you don't ask. Don't worry, you keep quiet, it's fine. It's not necessary for you to ask anything. Like one person, one girl got married and she came into her new home now and she's keeping very quiet. So the mother-in-law finally said, but why you are so quiet, not saying anything? She said, no, my mother told me you mustn't talk anything. She said, no, no, don't worry, you must talk, don't worry about all that. So now she said, well, okay, one thing I want to ask is, if supposing my husband passes away, you'll get me married again. So now the mother-in-law thought, she said, look, your mother gave you very good advice. <laughs> You'd rather stick to that. What a kind of question to ask now. You know, your mother knew why she gave you that advice. You'd rather just make amal on that. So the point is that questions are necessary sometimes. A sual nisful ilm. A good question is half of knowledge. 
Because the good question opens out the doors of knowledge. The person who's answering now might say things which people would really be benefiting from. Provided that's a correct question. It's a question that is of need. It's a question that is related to something which affects us in our practical life, in our day-to-day life, in terms of our beliefs and aqaid. But things which are just futile, things which just don't ever happen, far off things, things that might never happen in a whole lifetime, and a person now is bringing about these very, very strange questions, this is all just for passing time, this is something to totally avoid. Any case, because this ayat of the Qur'an Sharif had been revealed, the Sahaba had become very cautious, and they would be very, very careful before asking anything. Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala sent Jibreel Salatu Salam in human form. He came as an ins- in human form. Nobody recognized that this was him to the extent that at that occasion, until he had not left the masjid and gone, till then even Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did not realize it was Jibreel Salatu Salam. And after he had left and gone, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi himself said that I recognized him on every occasion he came, even if he came in human form. And he would come in human form in the form of Hazrat Dihya Kalbi radiallahu ta'ala but Nabi Islam would recognize him that the Jibreel salatu wasalam has come he says this time I didn't recognize him until he left so any case Nabi Allah ta'ala sent Jibreel salatu wasalam to come and ask so now he will ask others will listen they will benefit now that he came he started asking the questions the first question he asked akhbirni anil Islam tell me about Islam what is Islam all about the second question he asked was about Iman. What is the distinction between the two? Often both these words are used as synonyms. Islam is referred to what Iman is referred to. But technically they are distinct words. Islam refers to what is external. And Iman refers to what is the batin, what is effect, what pertains to the batin, what is internal. So when he questioned Nabi Islam, tell me about Islam. So Nabi Islam replied and said that Al Islam wa tashhad Allah ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammadan Rasulullah wa tuqim al salah wa tuqti al zakah wa tasuma Ramadan wa tahujjal al bayta in istata'ta ilayhi sabila. The five pillars of Islam, this is what Rasulullah taught him. That to testify to verbally testify to the shahadatain that there is none worthy of worship but Allah Ta'ala and together with that that Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi is the messenger of Allah Ta'ala in this time and age like many many other fitnas this is also a fitna of the unity of religions and this is pushed from various angles that no there is all the rivers all meet up in the same ocean so no matter where you are and who you are, whatever you believe in, all the rivers finally meet up in the same ocean, so it's all fine. Now this is, these are just hollow statements which don't mean anything. All the rivers meet in the ocean, so all the religions are the same. Where's the correlation between the two? If a person does not testify to the risalat and the messengership of Rasulullah does not believe in Nabi being the last and final messenger of Allah Ta'ala, and does not accept him, then there is no iman. He can believe in everything else, but he rejects this, he is not a believer. And these are some fundamental things which we cannot be mincing our words about it. 
You have to be very clear about fundamentals. You don't have to be abrupt or rude about it, but you have to be very clear about it. That there are certain things there is no compromise on. Risalat of Nabi Wasallam is a fundamental belief without which there is no Iman. So in any case, this is a subject on its own. This is something that we need to bear in mind very clearly that Iman will not be valid without believing in Nabi Wasallam as the last and final messenger of Allah Ta'ala. Then the second thing Nabi Wasallam said, but salah, that you establish salah. Not that you perform salah. The Quran Sharif also from beginning to end, hundreds of places, the command of establishing salah. There's only one place in the Quran Sharif where Allah Ta'ala speaks about performing salah. There's no time to go into the details, but that is Salatul Khawf. Where a person is in the midst of the battlefield, and in our times, where there's gunfire from every side, and probably missiles also flying through, and he has to still perform his salah. And in that time, everybody was so desirous of performing salah behind Nabi Wasallam. So there was a specific format of how the salah should be performed. But in any case, in that time, or regarding that particular command, Allah Ta'ala says, فَلْيُسَلِّ Ma'ak." The command of performing salah. But when that khawf is over, فَإِذَا تَمَأَنَّنْتُمْ فَأَقِيمُ salah. When that situation of fear is over, now no more just perform salah. فَأَقِيمُ salah. Now you come back to iqamat salah. What is iqamat salah all about? Right at the beginning of the Quran Sharif, Allah Ta'ala speaks about the believers, the muttaqeen, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ Right at the beginning of the Qur'an Sharif, Surah Baqarah, opening verse of Surah Baqarah. The believers, يُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ The muttaqeen, they establish salah in their lives. Establishing salah is five times salah. Four times salah, such a person is termed in the sharia as fasiq, as a sinner. Establishing salah is five times a day. And for males, Balig males, it's wajib to perform the salah with jama'ah. And if the masjid is not very far away, then a very great mufti, very, very great mufti, mufti of the like who none of us have seen. And that mufti is none other than Hazrat Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala. The mufti who Nabi Islam gave the sanad and the certificate to. رَضِيتُ لِأُمَّتِي مَا رَضِيَ لَهَا ابْنُ أُمِّ عَبْدٍ I am pleased for my ummah with that which Ibn Umm Abd, Abdullah bin Mas'ud is pleased with. What he gives them direction, I am happy about it. In other words, this was the confidence that he will only say that which is in accordance with the Quran and Sunnah. That is the testimonial I am giving him. That mufti, who Nabi Islam gave the sanad to, this testimony, the certificate to. What is his fatwa? That لَوْ تَرَكْتُ لَوْ صَلَّيْتُمْ فِي بُيُوتِكُمْ وَتَرَكْتُمْ مَسَاجِدَكُمْ تَرَكْتُمْ سُنَّةَ نَبِيِّكُمْ That if you start performing your salah in your homes without a valid shari'i reason, without a valid shari'i reason, you start performing your salah in your homes and you leave out the masjid, then you are leaving out the way of Rasulullah wasallam. وَلَوْ تَرَكْتُمْ سُنَّةَ نَبِيِّكُمْ لَضَلَلْتُمْ And you leave out the way of your Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you'll go astray. There is so much of hifazat of deen 
in the salah with jama'ah. But these are all things which are not obvious. It's not something that can be really shown to a person how it works. But this is the way Allah Ta'ala has made it. That in those amal which are done in a collective manner and a person keeps to that and then there's many other amal as well. There's so much of hifazat and protection for the rest of the It's one amal but it becomes a means of protection for so many things in life. And a person slips on one and he opens a door to so many other evils. He leaves out salah with jama'ah and it opens a door to many, many other things. So, وَتُقِيمَ salah, Performing salah with jama'ah. Performing it with khushu and khudu. Performing it with adab and etiquettes. Not in a manner that is just now, I need to get done with this. And over and out. No. In a manner that it is done correctly, properly. وَتُقِيمَ salah, وَتُؤْتِيَ zakah. You discharge your zakat. Discharging zakat, one is to calculate it correctly. Not to be just haphazard in that. Fine, whatever it is, I just make some some estimation and just give it away. If that estimation turned out to be more than what I was liable for, well and good, alhamdulillah. But how sure am I about that? If that estimation turned out that I short paid that zakat, this is a major sin, this is one of the fundamentals of deen, one of the five pillars of Islam. So this is something to be very careful about. So one is the correct calculation. And then to give it to the correct recipient, that too is the duty of the one giving it. To ensure that the zakat reaches the correct recipient. Otherwise his zakat is not fulfilled. You fast in the month of Ramadan. You perform hajj if it's compulsory upon you. A person who has the means to perform hajj. And there is no obstacle in his way which is not in his control. Like for example in our times now, a person's name didn't come up. He didn't get accredited. Now that's not in his control. But something that is in his control and had his farz upon him and he still does not go, it's such a severe thing in the sight of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says that a person upon whom Hajj became farz and he did not perform it, then and he then passed away for insha'a yamut yahudiyan or insha'a yamut nasraniyan, then whether he dies as a Jew or Christian doesn't really bother because this person has gone so far away. In other words, his iman is so to say in doubt. So in any case, Nabi Islam explained to him the five, fund, the five pillars of Islam. In reply to the question about what is Islam. After Nabi Islam gave the answers, of this newcomer, the stranger, he is sitting there and he says, Sadaqda. What you have said is 100% correct. Everybody is astonished again. Everybody is surprised. This person is asking. Asking means he doesn't know. And But here he is marking the paper. It seems like he knows from beforehand. He is ticking it off. So now this again created some sense of amazement. What is going on here? Who is this person? We don't know who he is, where he's come from. But all this was to create that little amazement in them so that they will pay full attention. Because this was the summary of deen towards the last part of Rasulullah's life. Any case, then he asked the next question. Akhbirni anil iman. Tell me about iman. So Nabi Islam now explains about Iman. That Antu'mina Billahi wa Malaikatihi wa Kutubihi wa Rusulihi wa Yawmil Akhir wa Antu'mina Bil Qadri Khairihi wa Sharri. And this is what we learn from our Maktab days as Iman and Mufassal. You believe in Allah Ta'ala, you believe in His 
angels, believe in his books. In all the books of Allah Ta'ala, we have Iman. In the Torah, in the Zabur, in the Injil. We have Iman that this is the book of Allah Ta'ala, meaning that very Torah which was revealed by Allah Ta'ala. That very Injil which was revealed by Allah Ta'ala. As far as the distorted version, that is not what is being spoken about. That which was revealed, we have Iman that that is the book of Allah Ta'ala. But to follow will be only the Quran now. So Iman on the books of Allah Ta'ala, wa kutubihi, wa rusulihi, Iman on all the messengers of Allah Ta'ala, that they were the messengers, the chosen servants of Allah Ta'ala. And then, wal yawmil akhir, Iman on the last day, the day of judgment, the day of qiyamah, that this too is a day coming, and a person is going to give an account of his deeds. And then, wa antu'mina bil qadri khayrihi wa sharri. Now this was actually in reply to this question that the people asked. These two people who came from Basra and they asked Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala that they are these new people that have come about with this new ideology. So now he's explaining to them that look, this is no, there's no compromise on this. And in reply to that, to substantiate that he quoted this whole hadith. But this was the part that he was now mainly wishing to explain to them. That you bring iman in taqdeer. Whether something is good for you, whether something is bad in terms of your understanding. Whether something you term as favorable for you, whether you term it as unfavorable for you. As far as our perspective is concerned, it will be good or bad. So no matter what it might be, but to have iman that all this is by the will and decree of Allah Ta'ala. Ali radiallahu ta'ala an, person came to him and asked him, that explain to me what is taqdeer all about. Ali radiallahu said to him that tariqun muhlimun fala taslukhu. This is a very dark road. Don't try to walk on it. If somebody has that light, then he can walk on the road. The light of very deep knowledge. The Shah Waliullah sahab very, very great scholar of his time. And somebody who was a unique personality. He says, Alhamdulillah, this aspect of taqdeer to me is as clear as daylight. If somebody has that light, well and good. Otherwise, it's a very dark road. So Ali Ramam said to him, don't walk on this road. So again he asked the question. So he said to him, Bahrun amiq fala talijhu. It's a very deep ocean. So if you're a swimmer, well and good. You can swim in the depth of it, otherwise you'll drown. It doesn't mean that this is not traversable. It's not everybody's job. So don't dive into this ocean, you'll drown. Because you're not able to swim it. Again he asked the question. So now when this person carried on asking, he's not taking an understanding. So then Ali Rinnanu said to him, that sirrun min asrarillahi qad khafiya alayk, fala tufattishu. That this is a secret of Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala has kept hidden from you. You don't try to delve into it. You're not going to be able to get to the depth of the secret of Allah Ta'ala. You accept it as it is. And you believe in it as it is. And therefore, this is something Nabi Islam very strongly discouraged and refrained from, or prevented from, to get into discussions about taqdeer. Because a person doesn't have that depth of understanding. Now two children who don't even yet know how to add 1 plus 1, 2 plus 2, now they're trying to make sense of some trigonometry problem. First get them to try and 
uh, first pronounce the word trigonometry, then they can start getting into the problem. But now they're insisting that we can't make sense of this, so it doesn't make sense. First you must start learning how to count, and learning how to add and subtract, and then you'll come up the levels. Someday if you get to the stage, you'll probably understand this too. But to those who know it, it makes sense to them. But if a person doesn't know it, and he insists on trying to know it, meaning he doesn't have that capacity, that understanding, that depth of knowledge, and he insists, no, I must know it. So now who is fooling me? He's going to harm himself. So therefore, this is not something to get into. But to have total belief in it, that this is Allah Ta'ala's command, whatever happens, happens with this decree. But at the same time, this taqdeer, this belief in taqdeer, this is something which if a person has the strong iman in taqdeer, to the extent of his strength of iman in taqdeer, life becomes very easy. One is that part of life which is human nature. Human nature is a person will feel all kinds of emotions, he'll feel happy sometimes. If there's something that is some difficulty, he'll feel pain. If there's some tragedy, he'll feel grief. If there's some loss, he'll feel the loss. This insan. And insan is made up of all these emotions. But if he has a very strong iman in taqdeer, then he is able to pass through these challenges very easily. Because now he is very, very content with the decree of Allah Ta'ala. To the extent that there is belief in taqdeer and the strength of that, equally there will be raza bil qada. Raza bil qada, being pleased with the decree of Allah Ta'ala. And everybody understands what is the importance of ikhlas. Nothing is acceptable in the sight of Allah Ta'ala without ikhlas. Ikhlas is the very essence of everything. So ikhlas is such a great thing. Above ikhlas, beyond ikhlas, is the level of raza bil qada. That to be totally pleased with the decree of Allah Ta'ala. One is to feel the human nature that feels pain, feels grief. That is human nature. But in that feeling of pain and grief, to be still content with the decree of Allah Ta'ala. Like a person goes for an operation, person goes for some procedure or whatever, he knows it's going to be painful. Let alone knowing it's going to be painful, he's even paying for that pain. He's asking the doctor, you do whatever it takes. He doesn't have the money, he's borrowing the money somewhere, he's making some plan somehow, but you cut me up. It will be very painful. You cut me up, doesn't matter. And you will not be able to walk around for a couple of weeks, doesn't matter. You can't eat all your favorite foods, doesn't matter. You can't go to work, doesn't matter. Everything doesn't matter. But you go ahead and do it. All this pain for what? Don't worry, because there's some good behind this. Now, he is ready to take that pain, which he knows is pain, he's going to feel the pain, but he's still mentally happy for it. Human nature is he's feeling the pain, but he's mentally happy despite the pain. He's still content about it. People ask him, you're going for the operation? You understand what a severe operation this is? Yes, I'm going for it. He's mentally happy about it. He's made a conscious choice for it. So this is the razab al-qaza. One is human nature, that's insan. But in that, he is happy with the decree of Allah Ta'ala. And where does this play itself out? 
When a person is happy with the decree of Allah Ta'ala, it doesn't allow him to overstep the mark of shariat one but. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi is holding his son in his hand and that son is passing away. And he eventually passes away. And the eyes of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi start flowing with tears. And on Sahabi, his day is amazed. He thought that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi being the Nabi of Allah Ta'ala must not have any emotion. Whereas Nabi Sallallahu was also a human being also. He also experienced the emotions that other insan experience. So then he explained the lesson. That this is the rahmat Allah Ta'ala has placed in the heart. But, wala naqulu illa ma yarda bihi rabbuna. That, al-aynani tadma' wal-qalbu yahzun. The eyes are tearing. The heart is in grief. But we only will say that which pleases our Rabb. We won't make one statement that goes against the pleasure of Allah Taala, or do anything that is against what Allah Taala is happy with. Now this will be the indication of Razab al-Qada. Razab al-Qada doesn't mean that a person doesn't feel emotion. Insan is insan, he'll feel emotion. But he doesn't cross the line of shariat in any way. And he doesn't become overwhelmed with that situation. He's still composed, despite his grief, despite his hurt, despite his pain, but he's composed. He's not trying to find now how to do things which will now take him out of whatever it is. He's doing whatever it is only within the limits of Shariat and Deen. Now this is that aspect of taqdeer. That to the extent that the person has this, and he'll get saved from so many other spiritual maladies. A person is strong in his faith in taqdeer. It is impossible now for his heart to harbor malice and jealousy. Because he's looking at the decree of Allah Ta'ala. So now how are you going to be jealous on somebody else? Allah Ta'ala gave him. What Allah Ta'ala gave me is mine. What Allah Ta'ala gave him is his. I should be happy for him. To the extent that the person has this belief in taqdeer, he will have well-wishing for everybody else. He'll be a well-wisher for everyone. He will not harm, wish harm for anyone. And when this belief is in, is weak, so now anything somebody else, he's getting affected with it. Why that person got this, it becomes a problem for him. Why that person has been blessed with that, that becomes a problem for him. <coughs> to the extent that the person has this belief in taqdeer, his heart stays clean. Whatever happened, Allah Ta'ala knows best. Allah Ta'ala's decree. And leaves it to Allah Ta'ala moves on with life. Human nature, he will feel whatever he feels. But his heart still stays clean. These are just few things. There are so many things that provided that this belief in taqdeer is correct and it is strengthened. The secret of it, we can't delve into that. That is beyond us. But to still believe in it firmly, this is something which is very, very important and essential. And to the extent that there is this belief in taqdeer, life becomes very easy to carry on with. Nabi Islam explained this, that this is all iman. Then the third question he asked Nabi Islam, explain to me what is ihsan. Ihsan, we use this word often in our vocabulary as well, that he made ihsan on somebody, that is a different ihsan. He did some favor to someone. Here this is the Arabic word ihsan, which means to do something thoroughly, to do something very well. 
One is the outer form of a'mal, of ibadat. Here doing something very well is referring to doing one's ibadat very well. One is the outer form. Outer form has to be correct as well. But then to bring the life in that ibadat. To bring that life in that ibadat, this is ihsan. And that life in ibadat will come when a person has learned how to bring it in. Just as he learns about Islam, what is Islam, and he goes to maktab, and he learns all about salah, and he learns about zakat, and hajj, and fasting. So he learns it. There's a lot of exams, and tests, and drilling, and whatever else goes. He learns about it. And then it comes to the details of iman, he learns about it. So ihsan is also something to be learned. It's something to be acquired. It doesn't come at the press of a button. And if to learn about the outer form of a'mal, if that is essential, if that is something we go to maktab for for years, what about learning what is the very soul and the ruh of ibadat? One is a form of a lion. The form of a lion is a form of a lion. It might be very, very realistic in how it looks. But as soon as it's known that this is just an empty hollow lion, they've just stuffed it. It's just the skin and the external. Inside there's nothing. It's dead. And even the child goes and he pushes it over. You go fear. means nothing. What is this? The child goes and puts his hand inside the mouth. You see, see where I put my hand. But if that lion is, even if it's half dead, and only see the tail twitching, that nothing else. But how close will somebody go? And the tail is still twitching. You don't know what can happen in the last moment. Might just suddenly wake up. So when there's still some soul, then it's worth something. Now when the soul is the main thing, now for the outer form of salah, for the outer form of ibadat, is so much of effort necessary, so much of hard work to be done, which is necessary. How much of effort is required for the ruh of it? Unfortunately, and very tragically, most of the time we don't even think that there is something like this. To learn. Let alone take the effort to learn about it. That there is something to make an effort to acquire this ruh. Even that concept is not in the mind. And this is what the purpose of this discussion is. That this is something which in this very summary of the whole deen, in this very dramatic manner, Jibreelam comes so that everybody will hang on to every word. And now he's asking very pertinent questions. And the third question now, this is growing, it's going up in steps. Islam, the outer form. Then the external aspects. Then we went to the batin, iman. And now we're going to the very soul of everything. Ihsan. Ihsan in every amal. Ihsan in one's salah. Ihsan in one's dua. Ihsan in one's tilawat and zikr. Ihsan in one's mu'amalat. He's trading, he's trading with that spirit of deen. He's not trading with the spirit of making money. Both are worlds apart. Might be apparently the same. But one is trading with the spirit of making money. That becomes object in itself. And there's no end to that. And the other is trading with the spirit of deen. That's another whole discussion on itself. There's no time for it. Ihsan in his mu'asharat, how he deals with people around him. 
his family, his parents, his spouse, his children, brothers and sisters, extended family, how he deals with them, the spirit of being in that. One is this convenience. My convenience is linked with somebody, so I will be also good with him. Apparently my convenience is no more linked with him, he can go his way, I'll go my way. Not convenience. I have to show my face somewhere. If I don't show my face, then it'll look bad. So that's not the spirit of deen, that's not ihsan. To do whatever we do with the spirit of ihsan. So Nabi Islam is now being asked this question, Akhbirni anil ihsan. So Nabi Islam replies and says, Anta Abudallaha ka annaka tarah, fa illam takun tarahu fa innahu yarak, that you worship Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala in a manner as if, in reality you can't, but in a manner as if you are seeing Allah ta'ala. Now, when this is put forward in front of somebody, immediately he will be bewildered. He will be at a loss. How am I ever expected to do this? Because a person, he does something, if he has to associate something, he will associate it to something that he is familiar with. person says, imagine an apple. Now he wants to explain something, so he says, imagine an apple. Now he's seen an apple, so he can associate what he's being told about with an apple. Allah Ta'ala is beyond our comprehension. And we should never try to ponder in the being of Allah Ta'ala. And now he's being told, worship Allah Ta'ala as if you can see him. How is this going to be possible? So actually the next part of it is the answer to this question. And the reply to this bewilderment. This is another one narration. This is a wording in that narration. Because even though you cannot see him, verily he is seeing you. In other words, what is meant to be said is, that supposing, if in reality a person could see Allah Ta'ala, then how will he worship him? Then he will be trying to do it 100%. Because he is like a person working somewhere, and the boss is standing in front of him. And now he's on probation also. And he wants his job. Now how will it work? Now he'll do it, this is, he'll do it with ihsan. The meaning of ihsan we discussed earlier. To do something thoroughly. Do it properly. He'll do it thoroughly. He'll do it very well. Why? Because he can see this person right in front of him. But actually, that is not the main thing. That he can see the boss standing in front of him. Supposing he can't see the boss. But why he can't see him? Because he's standing behind one-way glass. But he knows for sure he's standing behind that one-way glass and seeing what I'm doing. So now because he cannot see him, he'll just do what he wants. He'll do it haphazardly. He's under probation, wants his job. And he'll just do it haphazardly. He'll still do it as thoroughly as before. So what is the lesson learned from this? The real thing is to know that he is being watched. That is the real thing. To be aware and conscious that he is being watched. And therefore, if you are bewildered by this question, that how can you worship Allah Ta'ala as if you are seeing him? Because you have never seen him then that is not an issue to get worried about. Because that doesn't make any difference in how well you should perform your ibadat. Because the actual thing is, that you are being watched by Allah Ta'ala. So it doesn't matter you cannot see Him. You are being watched by Him, therefore you should still do your ibadat very well. And this is not confined to ibadat, as we just explained, every aspect of life. In another hadith, this 
wording is there and takhshallaha ka annaka tara that you fear Allah Ta'ala as if you are seeing him then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam asked him the next question akhbirni anis sa'a tell me when will qiyamat come when will qiyamat come so Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi replied to him and he said to him mal mas'ulu anha bi'a'lama minas sa'il the person you are asking and the person who is asking, the person giving, who is posing the question, and the person who is being asked, neither of them know it. Now this is a very long way of saying something. A simple answer would have been apparently to us, I don't know. And that is what is really the point that Nabi Sallallahu was getting across. I'm not aware about it. But he said it in this manner, that neither the one asking, nor the one being asked is aware of it. What was the lesson in this and the message in it? Till Qiyamat. Till Qiyamat, no person asking this question and no person being asked this question will ever know it. This is something which is exclusive in the knowledge of Allah Ta'ala. Even Nabi Islam is saying, I don't know it. So when Nabi Islam said, I don't know it, so now comes to the next point. One aspect we learn from this, just to quickly touch on this. We don't delve in things which are not of need for us to get into. When will Qiyamah come? It'll come and it'll come. We have to do what we have to do. Our Qiyamah could be very close. Man mata faqad qamat Qiyamatuhu. Nabi Islam says, the one who passes away, his Qiyamah came away. We don't know when ours will come. So worry about that. People will ask now, when is Imam Mahdi coming? So if he's coming, you've got some plan. You want to invite him home. He'll come whenever he's meant to come. But are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? All the commands of Allah Ta'ala you're already fulfilling. You're waiting for something, you don't know when it'll happen. Neither do you should you be worrying about that because it'll happen whenever it's meant to happen. So don't get into things which don't really matter to us now. One person came to ask some question about in some issue regarding the Sahaba where there was some difference that who was right? This person or that person? So he said to him, you see, in the Qabr, if the angels come and ask you this question, or if you are asked on the day of Qiyamah, you must answer that you came to ask me, but I didn't give you the answer. You must just say that, don't worry. What he meant to tell him was, that you are not going to be asked this question. So you worry about those things that pertain to you, that are of practical importance to you. Any case, then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, Fine, okay. Then tell me what are the signs of Qiyamah. So Nabi Islam gives some signs of Qiyamah which he completes his hadith on. That Antali Dal Amatu Rabbataha. Literally translated, this means where a slave woman will give birth to her master. How can she give birth to her master? The child that is born from a slave woman will be the child of either a free person or a slave. If it's a slave's child, then he's a slave. He can't become somebody's master. A slave is a slave. He won't become anybody's master. If it's a free person's child, that child is also free. So now he will become free. He won't be able to own his own mother. How can she become give birth to her own master? What is explained, the Mufassirin explained, Muhaddisin explained, what is referred to here is, Inqilab-e-umur 
that there will be a complete revolution in the way things happen in dunya. Roles will be reversed. Roles will be reversed. The master will have to start behaving like the slave. And the slave will start carrying on like the master. This might be a little bit far from our minds to understand. To bring it a little bit closer to ourselves. The father will have to carry on like the son. The son will dictate like he is the father. And the father will just carry on. Because if he says something, he'll be in problem. So now he's got no choice. So he's to carry on. And then maybe to bring it even closer to us, the husband will have to carry on like the wife. And the wife will call the shots. And the husband will be afraid if he tries to call the shots, he might get shot. Just to carry on. Whatever it is, Jihuzur. One person, so any time somebody asks him something, he says, Hazrat said. Why you did this, Hazrat said. And why you didn't come, we were waiting for you a certain place, he said, no, Hazrat said, I mustn't go. Every time Hazrat said, Hazrat said, one day somebody got curious, they asked him, who's your Hazrat? He said, my wife. <laughs> so now, that's how he'll carry on. So this becomes, this Nabi Islam is saying, the sign of Tiamat. Roles will be reversed. Antalidal amatu rabbataha. Those who should have been given the higher position will be brought down. And those who are not worthy of the position will be put in place. In one hadith, Nabi Islam says this separately. When people who are not worthy of a position are put in place, then await Qiyamah. They're not worthy of it, but they'll be put into that position. Then await Qiyamah, there's a sign of Qiyamah. Antalidal amatu rabbataha. Then Nabi Islam says that you will see hufat, bare feet, people who are barefooted. Hufat al-urat. They are naked, meaning they just barely have clothes to just cover parts of their body. And ala, people who are down and out, penniless. What will happen? Overnight, suddenly something will happen and they are Shah. They would be shepherds, grazing sheep. They got nothing more to do than that. And overnight, what will happen? Yatatawaluna fil bunyan. They'll start competing with one another in building skyscrapers. Yatatawaluna fil bunyan. In that time when Nabi Sallallahu said it, this would have been something difficult to imagine. At the most, in that time, if somebody could have built, perhaps was a double story of some sort. That would have been a very, very small kind of double story. This is fil bunyan. They will start competing with one another in building skyscrapers. Going to the Middle East and just go back in history, barely maybe hundred years ago only. Those who are competing in building skyscrapers, who were their grandfathers? And see how this Hadith Sharif is unfolding. Who were their great grandfathers or maybe grandfathers also? And perhaps some of them, maybe their fathers, if somebody is probably 70, 80 years old, and he's busy competing with others in skyscrapers, his father must have left 100 years ago. His father might have been a shepherd also. And this is Nabi Islam saying, signs of Qiyamah. So why is the signs of Qiyamah being spelt out? That when these signs are apparent, this is not a time to take life easy and casual. Carry on, everything will carry on. No, then it means his times are very, very delicate then things need to be done differently. It needs to be done in a way that a person is very careful. 
needs to be done in a way that the person is very cautious. He's not trying to now focus his mind and heart towards dunya. His hands will be in dunya, his heart will be in the akhirat. Now that it's time, it's the end of the world now. It's like the end of the day. At the end of the day, a person has now shut shop. Now when it's time to shut shop, now he's going helter-skelter quickly to do what he has to do. Everything must get rounded off before the time for closing comes. So this is the time of closing of this dunya. Allah knows best when that happens. But that will happen whenever it happens. Closer than that is our own qiyamat. Our own qiyamat is our death. Allah knows best when our time comes. So in any case, this was upon this Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam then. When this finished, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam woke up and he left the gathering. As he left the gathering, it suddenly occurred to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that this is him. So he said to the Sahaba, please go and call this person, who is he? The Sahaba left immediately, rushed out. Now Madinah Munawwara is a small place at that time. And they're all going in different directions, they can't find him anywhere. He's just suddenly disappeared. And they come back and they explain that we can't see this person anywhere. Nabi Salaam He came to you to teach you your deen. This is this deen which Allah has given us, which Nabi Salaam taught us, which the Sahaba Ikram conveyed to us, and which came to us with great sacrifice. People laid down their lives, they watered the garden of Islam and Iman with their blood. That is why this garden is still flourishing. They watered it with their blood. They gave their lives for Iman and Islam. We can't give up our sleep for that fundamental part of deen. This is the deen that we have to learn. This is the deen that we have to hold on to. And we have to come fully onto this deen that Allah has given us and make an effort to bring deen in ourselves, in our families, in our communities, and in the entire ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah tabarak wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma laka alhamdu kulluhu wa laka shukru kulluhu. Allahumma la nuhsi thana'an alayk. Anta kama athnita ala nafsik. Jazallahu anna nabiyyana Muhammadan sallallahu alayhi wa sallama bimahu ahlu. Rabbana walamna anfusana wa illam takhfillana wa tarhamna lanakunanna min al-khasirin. اللهم افتح لنا بالخير واختم لنا بالخير واجعل عواقب أمورنا بالخير بيدك الخير إنك على كل شيء قدير اللهم إنا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر مستعاذك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وصحابه معين الحمد لله